Uh, one morning in 1971, John Lennon sat down to his Steinway piano in his bedroom and he wrote a song. It was inspired by poems written by his wife, Yoko Ono. Rolling Stone magazine once called it, ranked it the third greatest song of all time. It was a hopeful song, inviting us to imagine. Imagine a world of peace. Imagine a world where we live as one. The only way John Lennon could imagine that kind of unity was if everyone stopped believing in things that divide us, including God. The opening line says, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. But what we have found is that, that governments that try to get rid of God, governments that try to erase God out of all parts of public life, they, those are governments are the ones with the worst human rights. They're not living as one. What John Lennon didn't know is that God has an imagination. God has already imagined a future for us. Uh, centuries before the birth of Jesus, God inspired Israel's prophets to, to picture this new world. Imagine a world where the strong no longer trample the weak. Imagine a world where the rich no longer exploit the poor. Imagine a world where the greedy do not grab up everything. Imagine a world where people live in peace. And the prophets spoke of God's promise to send someone to model that, that new world. God promised to send someone to turn the tide of history toward this new future. He would be the embodiment of God and Christmas. Christmas tells us that God keeps his promises. Well, as, as uh, Laura read for us, Luke tells the story. Luke was a physician in the first century. He, he researched and interviewed eyewitnesses about the details of Jesus' life, including the time when Mary was expecting she lived during a period when, when the people who had received God's promises, life was not good for them. They were harshly oppressed by Rome. And unless God did something big, their future looked bleak. And then Mary realizes that this world that God imagines will come through the child within her. She is so sure of it, she speaks of it as if it's already happened. She says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised 
our ancestors. And as I read those words, that phrase just leaped out to me, just as he promised. Those words ring out like a bell in the night, just as he promised. The world that God imagines is about to take a giant leap forward. Luke tells us that the the world that God imagines did not begin in a palace. It was not decreed from the halls of power. The world that God imagines began with a poor young couple forced by imperial order to travel several days even though she's near full term. They arrive at an overcrowded small town Everyone's guest room is taken. And yet, God is at work here. Here's what, here's what Christmas teaches us about the work of God. God's power at first appears weak. God's wisdom begins by looking foolish. God's big answers Start small. That's what Christmas teaches us about the work of God. Except for a few shepherds, uh, there weren't a lot of people that knew about the birth of Jesus. You know, this big event in the world and hardly anybody hears about it. The shepherds saw this great company of the heavenly host. They heard an army of angels giving glory to God. And then... They were told to leave that spectacular sight and go look for something very different, very simple and humble. A newborn baby wrapped up, lying in a hay trough. And the angel said, this child will be the Messiah. This child will be the Savior the Lord. Historians often cite Jesus as the most influential person who ever lived. And this world that we live in has been forever changed because he was born. For example, in the first century uh, Roman Empire where Jesus was born, they didn't put very much value on human life. You know, life was cheap. Roman parents routinely uh, disposed of unwanted newborns. This was especially true if there was some perceived disability, abnormality. And it was extremely rare for a family to raise more than one daughter. Did you know that? Having more girls didn't make economic sense. But Jesus changed that, didn't he? Jesus, the one who said, let the children come to me. Bring them here. Do not hinder them. And a few centuries later, as the ways of Jesus gained greater and greater influence, Emperor Valentinian outlawed these horrendous practices against children. You know, throughout the Roman Empire, um, they didn't have football. They had... They had gladiator games. Slaves, condemned criminals, prisoners of war, uh, they were trained to fight to the death. 
for the entertainment of the crowd, which included, I mean, notable people, senators, emperors, governors, pagan priests. Sometimes there in the arena, more than 100 gladiators would fight in a single day. And when, and when, the, uh, the, when a contestant was weak and beaten, the crowd, and predominantly it was the women in the crowd, would decide whether this life should be spared or not. Thumbs down meant to the victor, put your sword down. Thumbs up meant finish him. Again, as the influence of Jesus grew in the following centuries, Christian emperors, now believing in the sacredness of life, banned all gladiator games. Since then, Western civilization has never permitted killing as a form of entertainment. That's the influence of Jesus. In Britain and in the United States, it was spiritually awakened Christians who ended slavery and the slave trade. If you haven't seen the movie Harriet yet, about Harriet Tubman, go see it. It's worth it. Now, it definitely deserves its PG-13 rating, so, you know, if your kids are small, wait till they get a little older. But Harriet Tubman knew she was working for Jesus in freeing those slaves. Restoring a high value to human life is just one of the many ways that Jesus changed the world. He came to reconcile all people to God. And when he gave his life on the cross, allowed himself to be executed there, As a sacrifice, he was reaching out to every person. He was saying to every person on the planet, you matter to me. You matter to God forever. And he moved us toward the world as God imagines it. And yet, of course, we know this world is a long way to go, doesn't it? This world is filled with all kind of rottenness. The world that God imagines, what Jesus called the kingdom of God, is it is here, it is in this world, but it's not fully here. It's not all the way here. And so what do we do? In the meantime, we pray for it, we work for it, we wait for it. Right? That's that's what we do. We pray for it, We work for it. We wait for it. Tonight, we're going to receive Holy Communion. Um, The bread and the cup that Jesus offered. And and by receiving this, it's like taking a step of faith. He's saying, Jesus, okay, I'm going to belong to you. I'm going to claim you as my Lord and my Savior. Uh, I'm I'm all yours now. And I want to meet you here in this moment. I want to receive you.